verse from the first chapter of the book of James. And we're just going to read verse 2 together. Let us read together. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we're so gracious. We're so grateful and so thankful, Lord, that you that you have set aside this time that we would be together, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the conviction of your word. We thank you for the encouragement in your word, Lord. Now, right now, Lord, we pray that you would just have your way right now, Lord. Use me into whatever capacity you would have, that you would see fit, that we would all see you and not see me, Lord, that we would be blessed and we would be ever changed. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Trials to triumph. Trials to triumph. How many of you are excited now that it's football season? There you go. We got somebody who will tell the truth. Like him, I'm excited. I'm excited. A lot of us are excited, even if we ain't saying it out loud. And ladies, I know I feel badly for some of you because you're going to lose your husbands for the next five or six months. But it's okay. We'll be back in February. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We'll talk to you while the game is on, but we ain't really listening to you. Am I letting a secret out, fellas? All right. But that's okay. But what I like about football season goes beyond when they start playing the game. I'm going to challenge you to look at the beginning when the teams are together before the, before the first kickoff. Because every game, every team does this, whether it's in the NFL, college, or midget football for that matter. The guys on the team get together and they huddle as a team. And they talk about what they're going to do during the game. They, they talk about how they are going to impact the game. They, they talk about how they're going to put their imprint on that game. And they talk about what it's going to look like, how we are going to protect our house. They say, they say stuff like, we're going to protect our house, and ain't nobody going to come in here and, and beat us. And they get excited. They get excited. They get excited because of the challenge that lies ahead. Now, what you got to understand is they understand that there are trials that, represent, that are represented on the field to play. And the trials are in the form of that other team in, in a different uniform. But they still get excited because they know in order to triumph, they got to get through that trial. Amen. One of the things that you never will see, you will never see a team get together, huddle, get all excited, and then run back in the locker room and talk about we won the game. Because it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. In order for them to be victorious, they got to go through the trial. Amen. And what I want to share with you this morning is the fact that we got to go through trials too. Amen. It's a must Amen. because trials grow us. Amen. Now, before we talk about trials, we got to talk about what trials are. And trials are something that's usually unpleasant that you can't get rid of. Because if you could get rid of it, it ain't a trial. It's an inconvenience. A trial is something that you don't necessarily like, but you can't get rid of. And they come in various forms. You have financial trials. You know, you got more bills at the end of the month than you got money. It represents a trial. 
You have relationship trials where you just can't seem to get it right with somebody you're supposed to be in love with or your children just can't seem to get it right. It's a trial. You might have a physical trial where something's wrong with your body and you just can't seem to shake it. Medical science can't seem to help you, but you're just dealing with it. That's a trial. They come in many forms, and that's just three examples of trials that come. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is God doesn't give us the trial, but he uses the trial for his glory. Okay? He doesn't give it to us, but he takes and spends it so that we are better as a result of it if we trust him through the process. I want to talk this morning about four imperatives, that is, four must-dos that we can look at in this passage to understand how to deal with our trials. Four imperatives. The first one starts in verse 2. He says, count. Count. Do the math. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, notice he didn't say if you fall into various trials. He says when you fall into trials. That, that presupposes that it's going to happen. Okay? It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. And so what he says is, he says, I want you to do the math. He says, I want you to weigh what you're going through against what you're not going through. Look at it on a scale. Okay? And no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging that is, whatever it is that you're going through, look at it in light of what you're not going through. Because true enough, when we're going through something, that's all we tend to see. That's all we tend to focus on. But we don't tend to think about all the things that are going right in our lives. Okay? He says, weigh it in light of what you're going through, in light of what you're not going through. Count it all joy. How do you count it joy? Because when you put it in perspective, when you put it in perspective, you have a better understanding of what it is that you're going through. That doesn't negate what you're going through. That's just saying, on the scale of things, things don't always look as bad as they feel. My wife and I raised five kids. And when they were in their formative years as teenagers, it was tough keeping the refrigerator full, let me tell you. But I, I did a good job, I think, because they all still here, so ain't nobody <laughs> starved to death. But I can remember many a days that they would go to the refrigerator, and they would open the refrigerator, and they would shut the refrigerator. And they'd come back, and they'd open the refrigerator, and they'd shut the refrigerator. But what really struck me is sometimes they would open the refrigerator and they'd move stuff aside. And then they'd come back and say, we don't have nothing in the refrigerator to eat. <laughs> As they move stuff aside. And I often would tell them, we may not have what you want to eat, but I want you to understand one thing. When the bacon soda starts to look good, then you know we ain't got nothing to eat. Up until now, you're just inconvenienced. <laughs> but we need to talk about counting it joy. Yes. Counting it joy. So the first understanding, the first imperative is understanding the perspective of putting everything in perspective. Okay? Because we get sidetracked and we worry about things that we shouldn't worry about to the degree that we shouldn't worry about them. The second thing I want you to look at is found in verse 3. No, K-N-O-W, no. 
Know. Know that God is at work. Know that God is at work. And the first thing you need to know about God and knowing that God is at work is knowing that he is God and you ain't. The, the prerequisite to understanding God at work is you stop trying to fix your problem. If you're going through a trial, whether you call it a trial, a storm, a problem, circumstance, whatever you want to call it, the first thing you and I want to do is we want to fix it. That's the first thing we want to do. It's natural. Okay? But understanding God is at work means I can't fix it, so let him fix it. Let me, let me let him deal with it in whatever way he wants to deal with it. As we look at verse 3, it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. He uses a real big word there that we use all the time, and we throw it around, but we don't talk about it really. He says faith. Faith. Now, we need to talk about faith because we, we misconstrue what faith is. Faith is not something you say. It's not even something that you feel. Faith is something that you do. Okay? If, if your feet aren't moving, then you ain't got faith. Because you can not feel like you got faith and have a ton of faith. Or feel like you got faith and have no faith. Because the test of what faith is, is how are your feet moving? The Bible, dis- uh, the, the Bible defines faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? That means you ought to be moving in light of what God said before you see any evidence of what he told you. That's that's what faith is. Faith says you go before you get to where I told you to go. But faith is not limited to that. It's, It's so serious that Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's how serious faith is. And so what he is saying in in verse 3 is, he's saying knowing that testing of your faith produces patience. God is at work. As we go through these trials, he's in the middle of doing something in our lives. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to grow us. He's trying to grow us because he can only use us as he grows us. And so if we're not growing, he's not using us. We have example after example in the Bible. The first one I'll share with you is a man called Noah. The world had upset God in Genesis, and God said, I'm going to end this world the way it is, but I'm going to take this man who has found favor in my sight, and I want him to do something. So he told Noah to build an ark because I'm going to make it rain for 40 days. Noah started building an ark. And then Noah said, what's rain? (laughs) There's a man named Abraham that had favor in the sight of God. And God came to Abraham and he said, I want to make a great nation of you. Except I want you to go somewhere. And I don't know, I don't want, I'm not telling you where I'm sending you, but I want you to go anyway. And Abraham started leaving his family and leaving his friends, going in the direction that God had told him before he knew he was gone, because that's faith. Faith is is moving your feet. There was a little boy named David, and David was minding his business. They had a party, and they didn't even invite David to the party. David was out taking care of his his little sheep, 
when somebody came and tapped him on the shoulder and told him to come to the party. And he came to the party, and God said, I'm going to make you king. David said, cool. <laughs> it's good to be the king. The next thing he knows, he's running for his life, hiding out in caves for something he didn't do. And I like what he did, though, because he, he took his thoughts and he put them down in what I call his diary. We call some of the Psalms. And he said things like, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. That's faith. That's faith. When God is moving your life and you got trials going on that you don't know what's going on, move in the direction that he told you to go. Know that he is God and you ain't. And know that he is at work. That is faith. The next imperative is found in verse 4. Let, L-E-T, let, have a surrendered will. Have a surrendered will. Because the first thing we go through when, we, when we're going through trials, the first thing we want to know is how do we get out of it? How, how do we shake whatever it is that we're going through? What, how, how, do we, how do we deal with it in a way that we don't have to suffer anymore from whatever it is that we're going through? We want to find our way out. But we got to realize that God uses that situation to grow us. He says in verse 4, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What that means is I want you to be mature. I want, I want, I want to see you grow to where I want you to be because I only can use you as you grow. Moses was born, and he was born a Hebrew, but through the divine actions of God, he ended up in the palace. And y'all know the story. Situation changes. He kills somebody. He runs for his life. And then all of a sudden, he's shepherding sheep. He's, he's dealing with a trial. But God knew that he needed to have Moses lead his people. So he used the trials that Moses would go through to prepare him for when he would have him leave his people. He says, I'm going to have you shepherd some sheep. I'm going to take that situation that I didn't necessarily cause because God didn't tell him to kill anybody. But he took the situation and he prepared him for what he wanted him to do ultimately in leading his people. Okay? So, so we got to have a surrender will. We got to say that I don't know why I'm going through this, but I want to use this time to grow because I know that God will take what I'm going through and flip it and make what I'm going through something that I can look back on and be better because of. That's what God does. But it only comes when we surrender our will. The longer you fight whatever it is that you're trying to fight, the more your struggle is going to continue. It's like being in school. You go from grade to grade to grade. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do in each grade, what happens? You get left back. Okay? You didn't learn the lesson you needed to learn to move forward. It's the same thing in our Christian walk. If we don't learn what he wants us to learn, and he uses trials to teach us what he wants us to learn. He doesn't give us the trials, but he uses them to his praise and to his glory so that we will be better as a result of the trial. So you can look back on and see what he's done. He, he did something for us, which is salvation. He does something in us, which is sanctification. 
So he wants to set us apart. And then he wants to do something through us, which is use us for service. So whatever it is that you're trying to do, God wants to use you, but he can only use you as you're being what he wants you to be. Amen. We have to grow in order for him to use us the way he wants us to use. Amen. So he goes on and, and he talks about verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, which is our fourth imperative, ask. And he appears to go in a different direction because all before now he's talking about trials, he's talking about faith, he's talking about patience. And he says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. Seems strange. It seems like, it seems like he would say, in light of the trials, why don't you ask for strength? Well, why don't you ask for more patience? Well, why don't you ask for comfort? But he says, no, ask for wisdom. Why does he say ask for wisdom? Well, let's talk about what wisdom is. Wisdom is taking the information that you have and lining it up to what God would have you do with it in a way that would be pleasing to him. Okay? It's not merely information. It's not knowledge. You know, we, we know a lot of knowledgeable people that aren't wise at all. Okay? They, we call them educated fools. Okay, so it's not information in and of itself, but it's using the information. Information, wisdom is information with legs on it. Okay, wisdom is information used in a way that will better you as a result of doing what God wants you to do. So he, he says, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. And the reason that he says to ask for wisdom is he doesn't want you to waste the trial. He doesn't want you to waste what you're going through. Okay. Wisdom says, I've been in this situation before. I know how it's going to turn out. I'm not doing that again. The unwise does the same thing the same way and expects something different to happen. Wisdom says, I don't want you to waste the trial. So he says, ask for wisdom. But you must ask in faith. There was a lady who had been sick, and she belonged to a, a church, and she had some physical issues. Uh, her, her kids weren't acting right. Financially, she was struggling because she couldn't work. And her church was praying for her. And there were members of the church that would come and visit her, and they would take turns praying for her. And they, they would sit down and pray with her repeatedly. Until finally, one of the members of the congregation came, a, a little old lady came, and she said to the lady who had, was going through stuff, she says, you mind if I ask you something? And she said, yes. The lady said, tell me what you want me to pray for. And the lady said, thank you. She said, what I want you to pray for is that I don't mess up these opportunities that God gave me to get it right. I, I pray that I would know better what, what I'm going through, through the situation. That lady had wisdom. She understood, she understood the circumstances that she was going through were for a reason. And the reason that she needed to understand it is because she can't get better. She can't do what God wants her to do without understanding that this is okay. This is okay. The circumstances might not be pleasant. They, they may not be of your liking, but you've got to understand that if you ask God for wisdom, he's going to use those circumstances to his praise and to his glory so that you will be better off because of it. 
How do I know? Because he says it. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts, I'm sorry, he says, if you ask wisdom, let him, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So the first thing is, if you ask, he's going to give it to you. Not only is he going to give it to you, he's going to give a bunch of it to you, that's liberally, and without reproach, he ain't going to make you feel bad that you came and asked for it, okay? Now, here's the caveat, because it says it will be given to him. Here's the caveat, verse 6. But you got to ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. you got to ask in faith. There, there can be no doubting. Faith and doubt are diametrically opposed to each other. They, they, they can't coexist. They, they, can't, they can't hang out in the same place, okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. He says, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The Bible calls you a name if you have faith that, and you doubt. He calls you a double-minded man in verse 8. A double-minded man. So how does that play itself out? How does that play itself out? Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Matthew. Chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Because remember, faith and doubt don't coexist. In verse 22 of Matthew 14, we see these words. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you, o you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Wow. Wow. Okay. Jesus said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, Peter could have easily said, because I was drowning. (laughs) Right? Because I was drowning. 
Jesus says faith and doubt can't coexist. But notice what he says. He says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. See, because Peter had a little faith. How do we know he had a little faith? He got out of the boat. (laughs) Okay? He got out of the boat and walked on the water. Okay? So he had a little faith. But he said to him, why did you doubt? Well, why did he doubt? He doubted because he looked at his circumstances. Verse 30. Peter saw that the wind was boisterous. And he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. See, some of us are looking at our circumstances. And that's all we see. And don't get me wrong, your circumstances are real. They're real. But you need to see more of Jesus. Those bills that you can't pay, stop looking at the bills and start looking at Jesus. Have a little more faith. That relationship that you can't seem to mend, stop focusing on the other person, what they do wrong, what they can't get right, and focus on Jesus. See Jesus. Take your eye off your circumstance and put it on Jesus and watch him change your circumstance for your benefit. That physical condition that you deal with, as you listen to the doctor's report, don't focus on them. Focus on Jesus because he can change your circumstance. He can change your circumstance. And it's about the relationship that we have with him. So there are four things that I want to share briefly with you about this as it relates to the trials that we deal with, because these were trials that the disciples were dealing with here. This this was a trial. You can call it a storm. You can call it an unfortunate circumstance, whatever you want to call it. But it's a trial. Okay? They they were dealing with something. And there are four things I want to talk to you about. The first is found in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Trials come even in his will. Even in his will. So as you're dealing with stuff, don't let your first reaction be, what did I do wrong? Because that may not be the case. See, the disciples did what Jesus told them to do, what he told them to do. They got in the boat and were headed to the other side. They were smack dab in the will of God, and yet they come up against a trial. So trials come even in his will, okay? You don't always have to think, what did I do wrong? Where am I messing up, okay? The fact that you are in a trial has nothing to do with whether you're in the will of God or not. The second thing is found in verse 33. Our only response to trials has to be worship. We heard it this morning, all throughout the praise and worship team. Verse 33 says, when then those that were in the boat came and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. Our only response to trials is worship. Before we go into the trial, while we're in the trial, when we come out of the trial, worship him. Worship him. You get tired, worship him some more. You get upset, worship him some more. Our only response to those trials is worship. The disciples understood that in this particular point because they got the point where they said, we got to worship him. We got to worship him. The third point that I want you to see is also found in verse 33. At the end of the verse, they usher a saying. They say, truly, 
you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. They developed a new perspective on who Jesus was. The third point is understand and develop a new perspective of who God is in your life. We, we got some, we call this new direction. So we, I know we got some Bible scholars in here, so I need you to help me out. Before verse 22, in the passage, right before that, what happened? Somebody tell me what happened. He fed the 5,000, okay? We all know the story. Yes. Why is that significant? They had some problems, and the disciples said, these people got to eat. Right. Jesus said, I'm going to fix it, and he fed them, okay? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. The disciples witnessed it. The disciples had been hanging out with him. But let me tell you something. When God comes through in a circumstance, it's a little bit different when it's somebody else's circumstance versus your circumstance, okay? He fed 5,000, sure enough, but that was their problem. That was a reason to praise them, but it wasn't like it's something I'm going through. It's, it's so much easier to praise them when you witness him coming through for somebody else. But when it's time for you, when it's, when it's your trial and he comes through, you gain a new perspective on who Jesus is, okay? They went from watching him feed 5,000 and saying, ain't God good? To being almost drowned in the ocean and getting rescued and saying, truly, this is the son of God. You need a new perspective on God as you go through your trials. Because as you go through your trials and you develop a new perspective on who he is, you see him for who he is. You see him for who he is. And how do you know if you got a new perspective on God? Here's the key. The key to know if you got a new perspective on God is can you see the hand of God at work in the middle of your trial? Can you see the hand of God in your life when it don't look good? Joseph had the issue that he went through. We all know the story. And the quintessential verse in the story of Joseph is when his brothers come to him after their father dies. And they're afraid because they knew that as their father was alive, he was protecting them. And so when they come to him and they said, our father said, take it easy on us. Forgive them for what they did to you. And the Bible tells us that Joseph, Joseph cried. And he said something to him that, that showed he had a different perspective of God. He said, as for you, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. That, that shows he had a new perspective on God. He said, you meant that for evil. You meant that for evil, but God meant it for good. That will tell you and I whether or not we got a different perspective on God. Can we see his hand at work in our lives even when it don't look good? even when it don't look good. And then the cornerstone point that I want to leave you with this morning is don't forget what you already have. Don't forget what you already have. When we're going through trials, it is so easy to forget about God. It's so easy. 
Now, if ain't nothing going on, it's so, it's so easy to say, there's a bomb in Gilead, and he's a will and will, and can't nobody do me like Jesus? We can quote them all if ain't nothing going on. But when we're going through a trial, it's so hard to remember how good God is. It's so hard to remember what we have at our disposal. And my encouragement to you is to remember what we have at our disposal. We got to remember what we have at our disposal. There's a man who is Canadian, and in Canada, he was going through some trials. And so he decided he wanted to rob a bank. And so he went and he cased out the bank for about a week. And he came back, and after a week, he took a gun that his father had, and he went into the bank and he held the bank up. And he robbed the bank of $6,000. Now, unbeknownst to him, part of the custom in Canada is that when people come in the bank, they, they take videos, they take camera shots of him. And so when the police came to investigate the robbery, they used the, the surveillance village of who had been coming in every day. And they saw that he had come in for a week. They saw that he was the one who had robbed the bank. And they, they go to pick him up where they find the $6,000 that he had, and they find the gun. And after all of the trials and everything, he gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. But in the meantime, they did something, and that is they looked at the gun. And when they looked at the gun, they, they discovered it was a rare Colt Model 45 caliber pistol that was worth $100,000. So he does 10 years in prison for $6,000 when he was holding a $100,000 gun. We need to know what we already got at our disposal. We need to know what we already got at our disposal. As we're going through trials, as we're dealing with whatever we're dealing with, understand what we already got at our disposal. And watch God do the rest as we stand to our feet. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, it's truly with bowed heads and humble hearts that we come here this morning, Lord. Lord, we're just saying thank you for your encouraging word, Lord. We thank you for just touching our hearts and touching our minds and easing us at this time, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to allow us to just see you despite what we're going through, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would give us the conviction and the and the umption, Lord, to just know that it is you who sustains us, Lord, who keeps us, Lord. That you, would, that you would make us mindful that we are here to count it all joy, Lord. That we know that you are in charge, Lord. That we can let and have a surrender will. And most of all, Lord, that we can ask in faith and that you will give us the wisdom to deal with whatever it is we're going through, Lord. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we say, amen. amen.